Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, December 15th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The Federal Reserve eased up on its interest rate increases. Western sanctions haven't crushed Russia's economy, but Russians are trying to adjust to life without imports. And some billionaires are racing into space, but Ray Dalio is more interested in the deep blue sea. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The Federal Reserve yesterday raised its benchmark policy rate by 50 basis points. This comes after four straight rises of 75 basis points. The European Central Bank and the Bank of England are today likely to follow the Fed with similar 50 basis point increases. This week's U.S. inflation report for November showed a second straight month where the rate of price increases has slowed. It shows that the Federal Reserve's interest rate hikes have been working. And economists say inflation has peaked. But Fed Chair Jay Powell signaled that he's worried about price pressures persisting. Yesterday, he said the full effects of the Fed's rapid tightening are yet to be felt. I think we need to be honest with ourselves that 12-month core inflation is 6% CPI. That's three times our 2% target. Now, it's good to see progress, but let's just understand we have a long ways to go. Fed also signaled its intention to keep squeezing the U.S. economy in the coming year. U.S. stocks ended yesterday slightly lower. Western powers and their allies have imposed unprecedented sanctions on Russia this year. It's punishment for Moscow's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. In response, Russia's central bank imposed capital controls and prevented a run on banks. So the Russian economy hasn't collapsed. Instead, the FT's Polina Ivanova has found the economy has steadily eroded. She joins me now to talk more about this. Hi, Polina. Hi. So, Polina, you're based in Berlin, and you recently traveled to Moscow for a reporting trip. What is life like there? What did, what did you see? It's not like the Soviet Union of the 1980s. Uh, you're not seeing empty shelves and long queues, by, by far not. A few Western shops have, have closed, but in general, everything, at least in central Moscow, looks rather the same. I don't think there is a real sense of kind of economic pain. On the other hand, some absences of uh, goods are noticeable. I mean, I notice it because this is my first trip back to Russia in probably more than a decade where um, I've once again been asked by relatives to bring in certain goods that they couldn't access, uh, which they used to be able to access. You know, small things, but they're used to a certain type of cleaning product or a certain type of medical item. Um, so I guess in that sense, you do see that some people are noticing the, the product lines are smaller, their options are more limited. What's the government doing to counter these sanctions? What, what can Moscow do? Really, Russia has three options. One is to increase imports from kind of what it calls friendly countries. So places like China, for example, or India, which it recently requested a kind of long list of goods and, and help to import those. Another is import replacement. So if you're, for example, missing a certain type of technology because it's no longer uh, available to you because it's made by a Western brand, you try and recreate that technology at home with varying degrees of success and you know, with an obvious impact both on quality and on things like economies of scale. And the third is smuggling. It's uh, bringing things in through 
parallel imports. Um, and in fact, one of our interlocutors, uh, an oligarch under sanctions, presented Iran as this kind of beacon of hope. You know, they have their own supply chains and they're able to um, produce a lot of the stuff that they need themselves. And if the things that they can't produce, uh, they find on the black market. And this was presented as a kind of, this is a great outcome for Russia if we can, uh, if we can make that happen. That's a, that's a good look. Smuggling. Okay, so how are people managing to smuggle goods into Russia? So I spoke to uh, several people who are engaged in this kind of import-export trade, as as they call it. And um, some open front companies in Europe, for example, which don't seem to have any link to Russia. And then they use those to buy goods uh, from European companies who don't know necessarily or maybe choose to turn a blind eye that the that the goods will then go to Russia. And then they send them via these different routes into the wider customs union that Russia has. So Kazakhstan, for example, is a key destination. So goods are trucked to those areas and then through them into, into Russia. So what's the key takeaway here, Polina? Is it that sanctions aren't working? I think actually speaking to various people who are involved in kind of sanctions policy groups and, and that sort of thing, you know, I don't think many of them were of the opinion that introducing sanctions and especially, you know, really tough sanctions is going to cause a revolution or is going to get people to rise up against the government or is in fact going to get the government necessarily to reconsider, particularly since this is clearly, you know, an ideological move. So I think people were not expecting sanctions to have this effect, that they are so punishing that immediately there's a U-turn on the decision to invade or something like that. I think what they were intended to do was to prevent Russia from having the economic capacity to launch another war or to really at length continue this one, keep the economy going at a pace where it is able to create new weapons and and fund the replenishment of its armed forces and this sort of thing. And in that sense, it is having an effect. Polina Ivanova is the FT's Moscow correspondent. Thanks, Polina. Thanks so much. Some billionaires are building rockets to explore space. You've got Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Richard Branson all sending things into the final frontier. Not Ray Dalio. Dalio is the founder of the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater Associates. He's also an underwater exploration aficionado, and he's just invested in a company that makes submarines for the super-duper wealthy. It's called Triton. It's pretty exclusive. They produce like four or five submarines a year. That's our M&A correspondent, Hortensa Aliai. They range in price from 2.5 million to about 40 million. So there's a small pocket of people who can afford these. But they tell me they have a long waiting list. And apparently yachting is now very boring. So the new accessory to have is a submersible. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm terribly bored of my yacht, of course. (laughs) Um, We should mention that Dalio isn't the only big backer of Triton. Movie director James Cameron, uh, who directed Titanic, now also owns part of this submarine company, Triton. Um, Tell me a little bit more about that, Hortensa. They are both very, very passionate about this, as much as we like to joke (laughs) that um, this is a project for people who've gotten bored with yachting. They both seem to be extremely passionate about ocean exploration. And actually, one of the Triton submarines was used by our favorite man in the world, David Attenborough, 
when he dove into Australia's Great Barrier Reef. But the main target market of this company is the quote unquote yachting class. Okay, now this is the the key question, Hortensa. Is there any chance of you getting into one of these bad boys soon? Are you going to be doing a little submarine reporting? Okay, so I have to admit I'm desperate to go into one of these. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So if Dahlia is listening (laughs) and FT Weekend is listening, um, (laughs) let me do a lunch for the FT on board a uh, Ocean Explorer or board a submarine. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.